0: Rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of life, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Superboy.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 205 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is it. This is my final episode covering the Salkine-produced Superboy television show, which ran its syndication from 1988 until 1992. And I am completing my coverage with the two-part se- series finale, Rites of Passage. It's the end of a long road, and, you know, I you know, came back from the last hiatus starting with the Ruby Spear Superman, and for a time, that and this show overlapped at the very beginning in Season 1. And I've gone through and hit just about every week. I think I missed two weeks during that run where I had to skip. Although I can't think of the second one off the top of my head. I know I skipped a couple weeks ago because of the upgrade to the 2 True Freaks website and the simple fact that, you know... Life and work has really been, you know, kicking my ass the past few weeks, past few months really, and it's just been hard to find the time to carve away the podcasting. You know, it took a while, but that 11-week lead time that I had, you know, really evaporated over the course of a couple of months, and, you know, just there's been a lot more sporting events these past uh, few months for me, and working from home freelance means I'm doing a lot of night work, which cuts into podcasting time. So when I come back from my hiatus, I'm going to have to figure out the best way to kind of fit everything in with uh, both kids, hopefully uh, starting school in September, at least the younger one, hopefully going in. I'll uh, maybe have some more time to not having work and podcasting uh, fighting for my time. After this episode, there will be a relatively long hiatus, probably about five months. I have plans to return in October, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to be sitting on my hands and knees, although I'll probably uh, take a few weeks off from from the show, and, uh, you know, I'm going to try to start right away and uh, preparing episodes for Lois and Clark, see how far ahead I can get, you know, and maybe that'll make things easier, you know, going forward. I guess we'll find out. But before I get to this, uh, this feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing it on Man of Screen, episode 194, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I very much enjoyed The Road to Hell and thought it was a very good alternate Earth story and a good sequel to *Roads Not Taken. If, as you suggest, it's not as good as the original pair of episodes, I would argue that it's not much below those. Hell explores the what-ifs at different points in life, as a young boy and as an older man, while Not Taken looks at older versions of Superboy at the same age. I like the alternate Lex who stammered and seemed to be working for Darla and then became more confident and dominant as he manipulated the young Kal-El. It's easy, and unnerving too, to see how the naive youngster could be so easily led astray, which makes me think once again how lucky the world was to have him raised by the Kents. It also makes me wonder when the older Superman said he never had a family, how he'd been raised. Maybe he meant he never started a family of his own, but he certainly seemed to be the kind of Superman who'd been raised by the Kents, and that's one of, the, one of the things I like best about this story. It raises some very good questions, but doesn't attempt to answer them completely, leaving them for the viewers to ponder. I also heard one piece of dialogue differently than you did. I took Superman near the end as Dr. Winger, what can you do for me, rather than what can you do to me. I took it to mean, I'd like you to send me to that Earth where I could be a father to the young kal as apparently he was a father figure to this world's Lex Luthor. So I don't imagine there's much that Dr. Winger could do to a mature, experienced Superman. This was a good end for the season, and I'm looking forward to season four.
2: Live long and prosper,
1: Dave McLevenny. As always, Dave, thank you for writing in. Uh, just a couple things I uh, have to say about Dave's letter. And yes, I uh, when I say this is not as good as Roads Not Taken, that's not meant to diminish the quality of the Road to Hell storyline. It is very good. And I really enjoyed that it took the Roads Not Taken premise and kind of did uh, something different with it. I'm glad they just didn't... You know, regurgitate what they had done before, and show us other alternate Superboys of the same age. Although, to be honest, I wouldn't have minded if they checked in on the Superboy from the first Earth that uh, Superboy visited. Just you know, the the one that killed Lex Luthor, just to you know see how things are are going and whether he's uh, you know kind of making the difference that he hopes to be. You know, they've liked the alternate Superstandard to do work with. Yeah, I like that too, and uh, and I liked how the we both liked how the stutter went away as he became. More confident, dominant. And uh, Dave's right. It does. It is unnerving to see how easily, you know, that young child can be led astray. We've seen plenty of alternate Superman stories in the day between Worlds and other things about what would happen if Superman were raised under different environments. So we've definitely seen stories where that doesn't work out too well for the world. So yes, the world is very lucky that he was raised by the Kent's. And Dave's comment about the older Superman saying that he never family, you know, is giving me a thought that I didn't have when I watched it the last time. But Dave said it made him wonder how he'd been raised. I always took it to mean that he meant that he never had time to start a family of his own because right after he said that he never found time to have a family, he told Superboy to not let that happen to him. But, But Dave brings up an interesting point, and I'm not sure he meant to or not, but who did raise him? I mean, yeah, the story is, you know, goes as, uh, as, least as we know it that he was found by the Kents and raises Clark. and But here's the thing the only thing different on these alternate worlds is the age of the Kal el character. Everyone else on Earth is the same age. So on each of these alternate worlds, the Kents are the ages that we know of them in the Prime World. So if the older Superman arrived at a different time, He's possibly older than the Kents, or the same age. So, who did raise him? Apparently, he was still Superman, but was he Clark Kent? Did he have some other secret identity? Was he found by a passing motorist who took him to an orphanage, as the Fleischer cartoons tell us? You know, it raises very good questions and doesn't attempt to answer. Dave says they don't answer them completely, but this is one they don't answer at all. And I wonder if anybody even thought of that before now. Who did raise the older Superman? And was he Clark Kent? And how, and is the older Superman going to raise the young boy to be Superman with a secret identity? Who knows? It's uh, so many more ponderings. And, uh, and okay, Dave heard the dialogue differently than, than I did. That's fine, you know. But if you watch uh, the visuals as they're sending Superboy, well, Dr. Wing is planning to send Superboy home at that point, the older Superman does uh, change the program at the last second. And Dr. Winger does give him a look, but, you know, it's six and one, half dozen, the other. It doesn't really mean anything. If he had said nothing at that point, it wouldn't have mattered it matter anyway. But it was nice to see that he did come back and raise the child. And I'm sure there's plenty of things Dr. Winger could do to the old Superman. Maybe he's got some kryptonite hanging around somewhere. I don't know. But that's what I've got on Dave's letter. If uh, you'd like to uh, write into, you can drop me a line after the hi- during the hiatus and I'll uh, give it a read manascreen at gmail.com. Now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. When I come back, writes the passage, part one.
2: Faster than a speeding bullet.
0: More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a
3: plane. Richard Fryer?
2: Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute.
3: On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman.
2: We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming
3: soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
1: All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start things off with Rights of Passage, Part 1. Original broadcast date was May 10th, 1992. Directed by David Grossman. Written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast include Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent. Salome Jens as Martha Kent. And, you know, the show had kind of moved away from the Kents in the uh, third and fourth season a little bit, with the exception of the Rebirth two-parter. I'm really happy that they got back to the Kents and gave them a pivotal role in the series finale. Richard Casey as the Elder. Buddy Staccato as the Thief. Sean McAllister is cop number one, Key Howard as the superintendent, George Myers as the bureau staff member, and our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. On his 20th birthday, Superboy begins to lose control of his powers. Back in Smallville, the ship that brought him to Earth has begun to glow and pulse, and Martha and Jonathan Kent are concerned. Meanwhile, Dennis Jackson takes Matt Ritter and Lana to Smallville to help him follow up on a case that he investigated 21 years ago. That call I got earlier was the
3: boys in D.C. Something's come up. Nothing serious, I hope. No, it's just, well, when I first started out, I was stationed at the Kansas City Bureau. One of my first cases was to investigate reports of a meteor that hit in a nearby farming community. So I dutifully went out to look into it. The thing is, when I got there, whatever it was was gone. Maybe there never was anything. No, there was evidence of physical contact, but whatever made it was gone. All that was left was this purple crystal. So why is DC calling now? That crystal has been in storage for the past 20-odd years. Just yesterday, it started acting up. (laughs) Meaning? Meaning it's humming, and it's glowing, and they've decided to reopen the case, and they want me back on it. Great. I haven't been in the field for years. Oh, there's nothing to it. It'll come back to you. Oh, I suppose. You know, I sure could use a partner on this. I'd be delighted. Not that I need the help, but I could use the manpower. Of course, of course. So where are we headed? Some little hick town outside of Kansas City called Smallville. Okay. How long does it take to get to Smallville from the airport?
4: About 45 minutes. Are are you going to Smallville?
3: Dennis is hot on the trail of a 20-year-old case.
4: I I could go. Nobody knows Smallville like I do. Well, Clark. Of course.
3: No way. I can't afford another ticket, let alone a hotel room.
4: Mr. Jackson, I'll pay my own way and I'll stay with my mom.
3: Why are you so anxious to go with us?
4: I need to speak to someone who'll be there at the same time.
1: Okay. Clark returns to Smallville to answer his parents' call for help, and he investigates the ship in the basement of the house. Who are you? Do not be
0: frightened, young one. I have been programmed by your ancestors to welcome you into the next cycle of your development. My ancestors? You you mean my parents? The pain you feel is normal for people of our world. These sensations are only amplified by the same forces that have given you great strength on this planet. Do you know where I'm
5: from? I'm from another world?
0: I will guide you through the process that will rejuvenate you and lead you into the next phase of your life. Place the purple crystal into the receptacle, for the process to begin. I don't see a purple crystal. I don't see a purple crystal. Deposit the purple crystal into the receptacle now, or emergency measures will be taken. Deposit the purple crystal into the receptacle now, or emergency measures will be taken. Uh, There's no purple crystal. Causing the purple crystal into the receptacle now, or emergency measures will be taken. There never has been a purple crystal. Son, you alright?
5: I think so. In fact, I feel great. Oh, good. You had us worried. Let's go up and have some pie. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Ow!
0: How'd you do then? that?
5: My powers, they're gone.
1: So, this is the new series finale, and I truly believe this is a better choice for a series finale than the Who is Superboy episode. Hey everyone, this is Mike breaking in uh, while I'm editing the episode. Even though I said Who is Superboy when I recorded the episode initially, I really meant to say, Obituary for a superhero. Sorry about that, and now back to the episode. Well, who, well, there was nothing wrong with the Who is Superboy episode. I just don't think it was really series finale material. And this concept, rites of passage, is definitely a better choice. this episode is kind of the uh, the transition. This is where the character Superboy will kind of graduate to Superman. So, in the uh, penultimate episode of the series, we the show finally shows us the Kent's finding a uh, baby Kal-el in the field after the rocket ship. You see there, Jonathan Kent loading the ship onto the truck. Martha and Jonathan look no younger, and, uh, you know, they really uh, didn't take much time to do much of a makeup job. Lois and Clark will when they go back to uh, the, the days Clark was found in the ship, but that makeup j- job was horrible as well. So, but I'll get to that in due time. So, after the ship is loaded, another car drives up. A U.S. government plates, and uh, here's another man coming out of an old Dodge. You know, he walks into the crater where the ship landed in his uh, nice uh, business suit. And he finds a purple crystal. Now, I didn't notice this back when I was a kid. And probably because of the uh, the wig of bad black hair. But this is Robert Levine as a young C. Dennis Jackson. Like I said, he's wearing an awful brown wig that makes him look totally different. But, yeah, you look closely at the face and uh, that is Robert Levine. And, you know, I don't have any uh, basis for comparison. But I do kind of wonder if this is what Levine looked like as a younger man. I mean, it may not have been the most difficult in the world for the... St- for the showrunners they uh, bring me a picture of you uh, 20 years ago or maybe or even 30 years ago when Levine produced something and uh, this is what it looks like. So now it's the present day and Jackson is angry or at the very least that's what Lana tells him. Apparently it's Clark's birthday and uh, the bureau staff is uh, going to celebrate for him. Even the uh, grouchy old boss, uh, C. Dennis Jackson. I like this uh, bit of business between uh Matt and Clark about the gray hairs. So Clark, find any gray hairs yet? I don't know, they're falling out too fast. I've used that line a time or two. Jackson is being the typical old man, telling him to enjoy his youth, and why not? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, yuck it up, yuck it up. Wait till you get to be my age. Nothing
3: to look forward to except retirement. Nothing to look back on except a lifetime of paperwork. Take my advice, kiddo. Enjoy yourself now. Doesn't get any better than this.
1: But Clark is all out of sorts here, and his X-ray vision goes haywire. And he's seen through everyone's clothes. Here's Matt in his in his boxes, you know, and Clark just has this dumbfounded look on his face, and we can hear the effect of the x-ray vision, and uh, he's uh, looking at Lana, I can only imagine what he's seeing right now, because he's got this, you know, open-mouthed, dumbfounded look on his face, I bet every young man wants to see what uh, Clark is seeing in that moment, of course the show doesn't show us, it's a family show, we just have to imagine, but I love the look and, uh, and the hands over the face, he definitely saw more of Lana than he wanted to or ever or ever intended to I, I really can't speak to uh, what Clark wants but he definitely saw more than he uh he intended so eventually it passes and the bank alarm goes off and uh Clark disappears because the bank is going to close and he's already panicked due to what happened at his birthday party so this situation is just going to uh go from bad to worse superboy shows up and the robbers surrender immediately as most uh, intelligent robbers will well if they were intelligent they would have robbed the bank in the first place but uh well superboy is glad the bank robbers aren't gonna make anything difficult he's gonna make anything difficult as now his heat vision goes crazy which is not a good thing in any way shape form or fashion he uh knocks down one of the robbers blows up some cars causing damage and he tries to stop it by putting his hands over his eyes but that doesn't do any good it just kind of makes it uh go even crazier he apologizes to the robber, who's scared to death, and I don't blame him. Scared and probably a little angry. <laughs> and because he now has a, shul- a little bit of a hole where his shoulder used to be. And this cop is inappropriately sympathetic to Superboy, saying, Yeah, I wanted to blow holes. In some- I wish I could blow holes in these guys, too. Uh, you know, That's not what's happening here, here, my man. Although, I don't think Superboy can go uh, telling people that... Uh, His powers were out of control, even though when it happened, he did yell, get down, I can't control it. So now the radio is reporting that Superboy attacked the bank robbers. And, uh, you know, I'm sure to the man on the street, that's kind of how it looked. And uh, Ritter and Jackson are kind of happy that Superboy finally getting tough with the bad guys. And I uh, failed to mention in the synopsis, but during the birthday party, Jackson uh, was called away due to a phone call. It's uh, Washington, D.C. We've uh, been well over the fact that the Bureau for Extranormal Matters is a federal government agency. And Jackson picking up the crystal from the opening scene comes back here. As now in Washington, the crystal's acting up. And don't you hate it when that happens? You know, when these when just, when just these rare gemstones just start to hum and glow. Matt is making light of it. You know, he's trying to uh, calm Jackson's nerves about having to go back out in the field. And Matt's making light of the whole thing until he hears that they're going to Smallville. Jackson's like, ah, I'm a little hick town called Smallville. And did Jackson not know that Clark and Lana were from Smallville? Cause he's sounding like this is the uh first time he's heard of the place. Or not or the uh first time that he's thought of the place since uh he found the crystal. And of course, uh Jackson being the one to have found the crystal is one of those coincidences that fiction is built on. So it looks like C Dennis Jackson is getting out of the office for second time, I think. Maybe the if you count uh, Jackson and Hyde and Standoff, this is probably the third time we've seen Jackson actually leave leave the office. So here are uh, the cancer uh, reminiscing, and here's Martha's scrapbook, which Jonathan says is quite risky, and it is. This calls back to the comics where Martha's scrapbook was stolen, and then it caused all kinds of problems. Be- and being that this episode was written by Mike Carlin, along with Andy Halfer, but mostly Carlin, who was... The editor of the Superman books at this time, I think. And I know Helfer was involved with them too. I'm not sure when Carlin took over as the editor of the Superman comics, but they were both in the Superman fiefdom at that time and both would be very familiar with that storyline from the comics. So they hear something, but don't make anything of it because they don't see anything at least. And now, Rat Clock Department, he's got a little desk set up over there and he's got a birthday card from Matt that he's reading and now his eyes are going wonky and, uh, all of a sudden, he lights up the card and wrecks the table when he tries to put it out. You know, he throws the card on the floor, on the table, tries to, you know, smother it with his hand, and, well, now he doesn't have a table anymore. And now the drip in the sink is bugging him. You know, I don't have a super... I don't have super hearing, and those drips drive me nuts. I can't imagine what it's doing to him. So, he goes to the wall and, uh, tries to turn the water off, and, oops, he rips the sink right out of the wall. And, of course, this is when, uh, Lana shows up and Clark has... His, his kitchen sink in his hand. This is the Superboy version of being caught with your pants down. So Clark chases her. Lana is upset. And as Lana leaves, an old lady comes out of uh, her apartment kind of wondering what the hell's going on in the hallway. And now we find out what's making the sound. It's Clark's ship. And the hole in the uh, basement floor here looks like what we saw in Superman 4. So the visual here is taking a huge cue from the Superman films. And all of the uh, Krypton-related stuff we've seen in this show takes its cues from... The Reeve Superman movies. Uh, when they pretended to show Jor-El with uh, George Lazenby and uh, Britt Eklund, they looked very much like uh, in the white outfits that Marlon Brando and Susanna York wore. The same for when they appeared in Mindscape. So, And this kind of t- takes the cue from the film, the ship being hidden in the barn. I believe that started with Superman the movie. Before that, the Kent farm didn't really play any kind of role at all in Superman comics because the Kents were gone. So... And I don't know where the ship was in Superboy comics. Uh, maybe uh, Dave McElvey can help me out with that. Dave, where was Superboy's ship in the old Superboy comics? Well, Clark tore his place apart, and uh, the landlord is not too happy. He's not getting insecure about the back when he moves out. Of course, with the way his place looks, he might get end up evicted very soon. No resolution to that plot line. But it is a good thing that Pod didn't leave any uh, sensitive information on the answer machine, because Lana was right there. So I don't actually know what happened, but apparently it's the next morning and Clark is lying on this grass, uh, getting woken up by a lawn sprinkler. Did he take off running and lose control and pass out? He got twisted up in this kid's bike and uh, he bent it back into shape. Fortunately his powers were under control enough so he could do that without you know, ripping the bike in half. So he goes back to work. Apparently he arrives in at work, still wet from the sprinkler. He didn't go home to change at all. And he gets to the office and Lana is Questioning him. You know, she's worried. Clark's a very good friend. And. Clark!
4: Are you gonna tell me what's been happening?
1: Nothing really, I'm fine.
4: Fine? What about your apartment last night?
5: What about my apartment?
4: You trashed it. I mean, it sounded like you trashed it.
5: I wasn't feeling quite myself. I was hoping it was just a 24 hour
1: bug.
4: Fine. Fine, Clark! You don't have to tell me, it's okay.
1: Thanks for understanding. Clark is dodgy about what's going on. But Lana saw the apartment, and Clark is deflecting. You know, going back a few episodes to who is Superboy, I am working under the assumption, and I'm going to continue to work under this assumption, that Lana knows that Clark is Superboy, and she's trying one of two things: she's either trying to get him to tell her, or eventually she's going to prove it. But she's not telling Clark what she knows. So eventually, uh, they get Paul gets Clark at the office, and uh, Clark. Pa tells him anything that he was planning on telling him. And uh, and I like this visual of Clark doing his paperwork. And I love this grin Clark gives the camera while he's doing the paperwork. And at least he's grinning until his speed gets out of control and starts a small fire. And of course, uh, guess who shows up to see the smoke? If you guessed Lana, you would get the prize. But Clark blew out the fire for she could help. And uh, Lana sees the iced pencil. Like I said, she knows. Where else, why else would there be an, ice pe- an icy pencil here? So, She gets in on the trip to Smallville with Jackson and Ritter to talk to someone who may be there at the same time. She's being very clever here. She's not saying who, but she's protecting the fact that Clark might be Superboy. She's willing to protect that fact from others, but she still wants him to know that she knows. And maybe he wants her to feel that he can trust her. So uh, back in Smallville, the ship has quieted down and Clark is overcome by something. As he approaches the ship, it's unclear what happened here. It's almost like he got a cramp or something. So, Clark is checking out the ship, and he uh, chases Pa. I guess he uh, wants some privacy for this, and I don't blame him. Now, here comes the beam of light, and the hologram emerges uh, with a man, kind of dressed like Jarrell from Superman in the movie, wearing an air shield. As a kid, I always thought this was Jarrell, but I don't think he is. He's just listed as an elder. You would think uh, Jarrell would make this as an, in his image, but he doesn't. You would think it would look like Jor-El for just the simple fact that he's wearing the uh, S-Shield, which by this point had become the symbol for the House of El, at least on TV and in the movies. But I'm not sure what he's going through. He's a little old for Kryptonian puberty, isn't he? I mean, that's, So this whole thing is probably something a much younger Clark should have gone through. But this is definitely uh, his transition from Superboy to Superman. So the program wants a purple crystal. But Clark has never known anything about a purple crystal or really any of this. And it's threatening uh, emergency measures. And when Clark says there's never been a purple crystal, the ship says, I've had enough of this crap. And we get a blinding white light and some streaks of white light. And the ship quiets down. So everything feels better. But like I said, Clark in the synopsis, Clark cuts himself. And we discover the truth. The emergency measures took his powers away. So again, I have fond memories of this two-parter. Much, much better finale than Who a Superboy would have been, and this was recorded on my videotape as a kid, so I watched it quite a bit. I'm not sure if I realized at the time that this was the series finale. I mean, I knew the show stopped eventually, and I know the it stopped being shown in syndication, but I'm pretty sure after this episode aired, like I continued to watch the show at the same time, and maybe even seen episodes that I hadn't seen before because the show was on on the weekend in the mid-afternoon, so... If I had something to do, I missed it. Unless I managed to record an episode. I found, looking back, that I recorded far more season 3 episodes than season 4. I was much more familiar with those episodes. But that's that. So, that's part one. Now I'm going to take another podcast for a more break, and when I come back, part two. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the
2: podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018. 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know, you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sgt. Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours, ours Marvel.
1: Marvel. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to finish off my coverage of Superboy with Rites of Passage Part 2. Original broadcast date was May 17th, 1992. Directed by David Grossman, written by Mike Carlin and Andy Hilfer. Same as the first part. Guest cast includes Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, Salome Jens as Martha Kent, Richard Casey as the Elder, Nancy Doerr as Grace, Rob Richards as Dick, and George Myers as the Bureau of Staff Member. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. Clark's out-of-control powers have been removed by his ship. For your sake,
0: and the sake of those around you, emergency measures have been taken. Emergency measures? My powers are gone. We have removed your natural abilities as a precaution. Until they have undergone the natural evolution, they would be unsafe, unpredictable. The Purple Crystal must be engaged! What evolution? What Purple Crystal? There is no Purple Crystal! Once inserted into the transport's receptacle, your abilities can once again be controlled, and they will be returned. If, however, the crystal is not found within eight hours, This program will be terminated, and your abilities will be
1: gone forever.
5: Gone? I'll never fly again.
1: As Dennis, Matt, and Lana try to track down the source of the crystal Dennis found 20 years ago, Lana once again begins to suspect that Clark is Superboy but can't prove it, because Clark is apparently powerless. Lana.
4: Hello, Clark. Or should I say Superboy? (laughs)
5: Lana, don't tell me you're on that kick again. How could I possibly be Superboy?
4: I have a theory about that. That meteor Mr. Jackson's investigating? He said it crashed to Earth 20 years ago yesterday on your birthday.
5: That's a coincidence. Quen- I'm not done.
4: Let's just say there was something on board. Something like a baby with unimaginable strength. And let's say a couple happened by. A childless couple. Is any of this ringing a bell? And let's say this child grows up with powers and ability that eclipses any normal boys. It's only obvious he'd need another identity to protect the ones he loves. Mr. Jackson said he saw a truck driving away from the crash site. A truck owned by a local couple. A childless couple. Mom and Paul Kent can only mean one thing. That baby was you.
5: That's just about the dumbest story I think I've ever heard. Not to mention it's just bad investigative technique. Where's your proof? What good is a the theory without proof? This time
4: I'm gonna get proof. Oh! Lana, what are you doing? Getting my proof.
5: some
4: kind of trick. Ow! Cut it out! I'm sorry, but I I was... I was so sure.
5: Well, you were wrong. Maybe this will put an end to your silly theories.
4: Of course. Clark, Clark, I'm sorry. I didn't... Ow! Stop that! I'm sorry! I'm sorry!
1: When Clark learns that the crystal has been delivered to Dennis's hotel, he must confront his old bully in order to get it. Clark goes the first time, but is turned away.
0: Well, if it isn't my old punching bag. Hello, Richard. I thought after graduation you became one of them Lily White City types.
5: Well, I come back every now and again just to remind myself of why I left. What do you want, Kent? I was supposed to pick up a package for my boss, that's it there.
0: I don't see nothing on there about no Kent.
5: Come on, Richard. It'll make me look good with my boss, you understand.
0: Well, it's against regulations. But I guess I couldn't say anything if you were to go ahead and just take it while my back was turned.
1: And then when Matt tries to get the crystal, he bickers with the bully Dick Charles and... Listen, I heard what
3: you said earlier, but when my boss comes in, if I don't have that package, I'm going to be in deep trouble. Now, I understand you're closing soon. But... The box
0: stays here until somebody named Jackson shows me some proof. Are you city folk this dense? There's no need to get hostile.
3: Maybe it's just that us city folks have a little class.
0: I'll show you the kind of class us country folk have. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Or what? Try me. Hey, listen. Hey, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I'm just tired of that whole, that whole city attitude. Hey, hey, hey come on. There's no biggie. You tell him. Look, 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 you can have your stupid box. Look, okay. <sighs> Thanks a lot. Is there anything I can do to repay you? Uh, yeah, you could. Give me that. You're
5: involved in this? Do me a favor. Don't ask me any questions.
1: Okay. But you do me a favor. Don't tell anyone where you got it. Superboy goes into the woods. It's where Pa has put the ship.
0: Time is running out. The purple crystal must be activated. I sure hope this works. Congratulations! You are on your way to full maturity. Until the next time of passage, be well.
5: Hearing's back. Lana, are you okay?
4: It's you. What
5: are you doing all the way out here, Milan?
4: I figured it out. Somehow you've lost your powers, that's why the pin didn't bend. You're crazy. I saw you when you left the hotel. You stubbed your toe. You're just a normal guy now. I oh, no. But I, I, thought, I thought that... Lana, get some help.
5: Leave poor Clark alone.
4: But when I stabbed Clark, it shouldn't have gone in, but it did. And when I stabbed you without your powers, it should have gone in, but it didn't. So Clark and No. But you You know what you need? What?
5: Proof. Would Clark do this?
1: The next day, Jackson returns from having been lost in a very good mood. And uh, after meeting uh, Farmer Grace the day before while he was lost due to Lana's poor map-making skills. What are you so happy about?
3: Apparently I missed something last night. Where did you two go? I ended up having to eat dinner by myself. I thought I was going to have to spend the whole trip back to Capital City bolstering your ego. Nonsense, why? Because you didn't solve your big case. The crystal's gone, probably lost in the mail. You still have no idea what landed here or where it went.
0: Doesn't that bother you a little?
3: Matthew, my boy, you're gonna have to learn how to relax. After all, it's only a job. You guys think I can catch a ride to the airport with you?
5: More the merrier.
1: So now that you have time to think about it, i bet you feel kind of silly about that whole Superboy thing. Huh? Lana stabs him once again in with the needle as he's getting in the car. All right, so that's the final shot of the adventure of Superboy. Lana sticking Clark right in the ass with a needle. But there's plenty more to wade through before we get to that. Clark is powerless, and uh, the ship wakes up telling him that it took emergency measures. You know, it's talking about the natural evolution of his abilities. What is that? What does that mean? The show doesn't tell us anything because by the end of the episode, he's kind of back to what he always was. At least as far as we know, we don't really see him use any abilities other than X-ray vision and super hearing. But what is the next natural evolution of his abilities? You know, I could see something like that if he's younger and the natural evolution of his abilities would unlock his ability to fly and things like that. Because it always seems, even in Superman the movie, flight was a thing that he learned last. So it's like. What is that evolution? I mean, Superboy has the same power set as Superman, so. Except maybe he'd become more powerful is the only thing I can think of. Again, the show doesn't really tell us what the evolution is. And, of course, Clark is wondering the same thing. And, like the rest of us, what does the purple crystal do? So, Clark has a deadline. He has eight hours to find the purple crystal. Not a lot of time. You would think the ship would give him, you know, at least a day. You know, maybe, you know, link up with the planet's uh, solar cycle. Give it one rotation. But, Nope. It gives him the length of a work shift to find the purple crystal, which could be anywhere, and he's powerless. So he's screwed unless that crystal is nearby. So now Lana, Jackson, and Matt are at the uh, crash site, and it looks exactly the same as it did in part one when uh, Jonathan and Martha drove up. You know, you would think the site would have changed somewhat in 20 years, but and if there's a big charred mark on the ground, you think Lana would have known about it. But Jackson saw our points out that he saw a red pickup truck, and this is where we learned that they're near the Kent farm. And I love Matt's uh, reaction. Clark lived around here. That explains a lot. <laughs> Not sure what it explains. You know, maybe Clark's naivete uh, and idealism. I don't know. So here is uh, Jonathan on the porch. With Jackson and them pull up. They see Lana, and she introduces them to the boss. And Jackson is in interrogation mode right here, questioning uh, them about the ship. And this is the first time that I've ever seen Jackson give a rat's ass about his job. I mean, he was cruising to retirement till this episode. You know, maybe it's something about this purple crystal case that really got to him. I don't know. So, the meteor crashed around the same time they were born, so that means they're twenty, because she does say that the meteor hit twenty years earlier. So, as they leave, Jackson sees Jonathan's truck, and he identifies it as the truck he saw that day. And meanwhile, everything else is just kind of coming up crystals. The crystals come into the hotel. Clark needs the crystal. He's gonna have to go get it. So. How nice of that crystal to kind of show up just when Clark needs it. But I do want to get back to this pickup truck here. First and foremost, I find it hard to believe the Kents have the same truck 20 years twenty years later that they did when Clark was born. I mean, no one points out that trucks like that 20 years earlier in a place like Small were probably a dime a dozen. And I think it stretches the, credi- the credibility that he still has the same truck 20 years later. I can't get more than five or seven years out of a car. Someone's going to tell me that Jonathan Kent got over two decades out of a pickup truck. I mean, this is a work vehicle. Has to do things that strain the engine sometimes. It's just hard to believe that he still has the same truck. I mean, he can take care of it all he wants, but these things wear out. Now, Lana is trying to throw Dennis off the trail a little bit, which I find interesting. Or she's trying to get away from him. But it does seem like she's protecting the Kent and protecting what she believes to be Clark's secret. I could be way off the mark here, but that's just how it seems to me. And she offers to do some of the uh, legwork at the Hall of Records that Jackson wants, and but Jackson doesn't let her leave because she says, "You're my guide. How am I gonna get around? I don't know what Jackson's gonna do out in the out in the field anyway." But Lana draws him a map to wherever it is he's going, and he takes it and leaves. She doesn't go to the town to the town clerk's office. She goes back to the Kent farm. Goes into the basement. That's where she found Clark, and she's caught by Jonathan with the. Uh, who got a basket of potatoes in his arm, causing kind of a, an awkward moment. And meanwhile, Lana got Jackson lost while Clark arrives at the hotel getting the, for the crystal. And there's the box. And here's the high school bully, Richard Charles, or Dick as the synopsis, of, as the IMDb cast list called him. Clark called him Richard, the whole, the whole thing. And this guy here, he is dressed in his wife, Beater, and this guy doesn't look smart enough, put one plus one together. I can't see him running a hotel desk. And the way he's manhandling Clark is not very good customer service. I honestly wonder who runs this place. So, unsuccessful in his attempt after uh, to get the box after Richard talks some shit to him, Clark walks out and there's Lana leaning on the truck. And so, Lana drops the bombshell. Hello, Clark. Or should I say Superboy. And here we go again with Lana and her theories. He calls the crash on his birthday a coincidence. But Lana's putting it together. She's got it right. And... Well, it looks as though Clark could be putting on a show of wiping sweat. Maybe he is for Lana's sake, but he's he's in a position now where he can't sweat. So Clark challenges her for a proof. And Lana is so sure and so brazen here that she keeps stabbing him with this long long needle. Even after he bleeds into his shirt, she still does it, thinking it's a trick. I mean, Clark has got so much going on right now. He does not need this, and you can't blame him for getting a little angry with Lonnie here because he's trying to do what he's trying to do, and he's sharing, here is she sticking him with a needle. And I honestly think the last time Clark when Clark barked at her about it, I think she was taken aback by how angry he was. Like She was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, she could have been that sorry because she stuck him three times. Now, meanwhile, I love this bit of Jackson just being lost in uh, those farms of Smallville. And he chases down this uh, farmer on a tractor, which, much to his surprise, is a- an attractive lady farmer. Probably not what he was expecting in that situation. And now Clark is frustrated because he couldn't get that crystal from the bully. And here's Jonathan with the Pearl of Wisdom. At the heart of every bully is a coward afraid to be found out. I like that. Works well. It's good advice. You know, the Kents are continue to be great. And I really like that this, these final episodes really showcase the Kents in a way that they hadn't been showcased since Rebirth. Now, I will say this about Jackson. His characterization in this episode feels kind of off. Maybe it's because he's out in the field. And maybe it's because, as I mentioned before, this purple crystal case has got under his skin. But for the past two seasons, he's always been portrayed as this 9-to-5 civil servant Cruising toward retirement. Not even a quarter of the dedication to his craft as Perry White. Even if he is kind of the Perry White analog. But I did like that while they made him the Perry White of the group, he does have a a different personality than Perry White. Perry White is the workaholic Daily Planet editor who would give his life for the paper. Jackson barely wants to give eight hours. And even Matt, who kind of holds the Jimmy Olsen slot, is much more experienced, but Jimmy Olsen is very younger, is much younger, so it's nice to see some of the archetypes kind of flipped on their head a little bit. But it is weird seeing Jackson this worked up over work. And now, this is Grace, who has an airplane hangar on her farm, apparently, and she's got this calmness about her, you know, very laid back, very zen. Meanwhile, Richard is picking on everybody and refuses to give the box to anyone but Jackson. I mean, can't Matt just whip out his bureau identification and get this box? And why is giving this box to Jackson Richard's hill to die on? I mean, aside from the reasons of plot edits in the script. This dumb character cannot care about this box that much. So Matt tends to dig at Richard, who is offended. And again, ready to start beating up the customers. Again, not good for business. And this is when Superboy arrives. He's powerless, but Richard doesn't know that. Superboy invites Richard to try him. And Superboy kind of wins the game with chicken. As Richard backs down, you know, Superboy just kind of stares at Richard until he backs down. He knows what Superboy can do, and Richard just hates city people because he thinks they have uh, an uppity attitude. You know, some do, and uh, there's always been a bit of friction between country folk and city folk. That's not something that's likely to change anytime soon. So Superboy walks up, and Richard leaves with his tail tucked between his legs. Off he goes. So in repayment, Superboy asks Matt for the crystal, and Superboy says, no questions. In exchange, Superboy agrees not to tell Matt where he got it. Although, if Superboy doesn't want Matt to ask him any questions, I don't think Superboy is going to be advertising the fact that he has the, this purple crystal. So, now as he leaves the hotel, Superboy stubs his toe, and now there's Lana hanging around and she saw that. Well, Superboy, Superboy lost his powers, and her in her mind, she's thinking, well, that's why I was able to stab Clark. And she does as much as uh, say that. So, the ship is now in the woods where Clark... Paul left it for uh, Clark. He's got the crystal. now. We get the purple light, and uh, we uh, cut back to Grace and Jackson, who are sitting in the haystack, relaxing. Apparently, uh, she escaped the uh, hectic city life, and uh, they're looking real chummy here. Here's Jackson, uh, you know, kind of sitting there with his arm around uh, around Grace. So this situation appears to have escalated, and quickly. And apparently, you know, the farm life in Smallville was what she needed. You know, she was getting burned out on. The city life, living in high-rise, she sold it all, and now she's a farmer. Okay, you know, whatever works for her, whatever works for her. Definitely not here to judge, but I, she's, her purpose in this story is to kind of get Jackson to not let the job take over his life. Which he was never in any danger of doing it before, except for this episode. I think Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer made him too Perry White in this particular moment. Perry White would get this worked up over a 20-year-old case. I don't think Jackson would. But at the same time, Perry White wouldn't be carousing in the, uh, the haystacks with this lady farmer. And now, Superboy is restored. He's on his way to full maturity. He's 20 years old. What does full maturity mean at this point? Seems like he's a bit old for puberty. So, here comes Lana into the woods. And she tells him the pin didn't bend on Clark because he had lost his powers. And Superboy just tells her, Nah, no, you're crazy. And she thinks she has it figured out. And then she tries it and the pin bends. <laughs> at this point, Lana's... Head is spinning. She's trying to fit the concert, get the facts to kind of say what she wants them to say. And she's flustered here. And apparently the proof, she asked her if would Clark grab her and kiss her, as Superboy does right here. Is that enough? Is that enough to get Lana off the trail? Somehow, I don't think so. But that's kind of uh, the all we get of that, at least for the moment. So now it's the next day. Here's Dennis, all happy. He uh, must have uh, gotten laid or something the night before because... He is uncharacteristically happy here. No one is that happy unless something unexpectedly good happened the night before. Just saying. It is kind of weird that everybody gave up so quickly just because, you know, the episode has run out of time and the purple crystal is gone. But they have. And then Clark asks to hitch a ride to the airport. Which this is probably Clark's first mistake of this scene. And then he brings up the Superboy thing almost challenging Lana. Probably his second mistake. Because as the episode ends, Lana takes the pin... Sticks it right in his ass and the episode freezes and we never find out what happened next. Although we can guess, the pin breaks, the pin bends, and Clark has a lot of explaining to do. So, that was a good finale. A better finale than what would have been. It's also a fun episode that I enjoyed very much. And that's it, folks. The end of my coverage of The Adventures of Superboy. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. At the moment, this is my favorite live-action Superman related show i'm not really sure of my feelings on superman and lois yet i need at least a season or two to bear that out but that's it for now next time hiatus until about october but when i return i will begin with my coverage of lois and clark the new adventures of superman until then feel free to leave feedback it's always welcome Manusgreen at gmail.com if you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, I'll still be there despite the hiatus. Just put Man of Screen Podcast, the search feed, and the show should come up. You can find the show on Twitter, at Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Podcast is produced by Mike Dumo no opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted their or original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Podcast.